This is Jennifer Lauren from Diamonds and Whiskey, and you are listening to Jay Scott and the Hook Rocks. Jay Scott. Glad you're aboard. Glad you're listening once again. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great platform of music-related podcasts. I always mention my friends, the Cobras and Fire Podcast with Baco, Shout Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus, Mistress Carrie, as well as Martin Popoff, the Rock Historian. You can follow them on, on Twitter at Pantheon Pods, also well as well on Facebook and check out their website, pantheonpodcast.com. You can check out The Hook Rocks on Twitter at The Hook Rocks as well as Facebook and follow us wherever you do podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Apple. We're on every platform. Thanks for tuning in to some of the great guests we've had over the last month. We did a great episode with Ema Reynolds, the director of the Phil Lynott documentary, Songs for While I'm Away. We had Phil Lewis from LA Guns. We had some sensational, great new bands like Crooked Shapes. Black Spiders, Crashing Wayward, and Abby Kay as well. She's all geared up to tour with Nita Strauss again in the coming year. And we also talked about a couple of music commentary topics that we've always liked to address, such as the streaming services proposing the lowest rated royalty rates in the history of music. If you want to hear me get fired up, check that out. As well as we welcomed Rob at Skylab Tapes talking about ear protection at live concerts and the importance of protecting your ears so you can enjoy concerts when you get, you know, in the, in the older stage of your life, you can still listen to rock music and live music as well. But we've got a great episode for you lined up today. I did mention Pantheon podcast. I always mentioned this podcast in the intro. It's with my friends, Carmen Apice, Vinny Apice, and local Chicago promoter, Ron Anesti on the Hanging and Banging podcast. I'd like to welcome yeah. Ron to talk about current live music venues and what's going on with live music and how things have changed over the last couple of years, how things continue to evolve, and what's going on, Ron? How are you? Hey, Jay. Good to talk to you, brother. I uh, really appreciate your uh, 
what you do all the time and supporting what you know we're all trying to accomplish and just keeping live music alive and keeping the the legacy of guys like Carmine and Viggy, uh, Vinny keep keep uh, keep rocking it because those guys. I mean, talking about Carmine and Peace, holy smokes! You know, I'm we're in our seventy I don't know seventy fourth episode of Hanging and Banging, and uh, it just never ceases to amaze me each week as do this we we have people like uh, you know just a lot of big people in rock and roll but the level of respect they have for carmine uh is something that uh it's almost like an unsung hero of rock and roll i mean he does get props of course but man the guy is right up there with every other icon uh with regards to touching uh the amount of of musicians that he's touched and uh it's just an amazing thing and uh, i'm i'm fortunate to be a part of it so thanks for recognizing guys like uh, Carmine and Vinny. They're both great. I haven't had Vinny on yet. I'd love to have him on. But between yeah. both the brothers, they've played with everybody. I mean, Vinny, what's, he was on a John Lennon song. Um, yeah, not a John Lennon song. He'll get, that's a great story he'll tell. Yeah. Just right place at the right time kind of a thing. Uh, but again, you know, I, go, I mean, he's a drummer for freaking Black Sabbath right. for D- with Ronnie James. I mean, with for Deal, you know. Right. Uh, I mean, it's it's just uh, it's almost unfathomable, you know. When you talk about what Carmine's done and how you know the the amount of time he spent with Zeppelin, he's had experiences with the Beatles, uh, the Stones. I mean, just everybody. Of course, Rod Stewart. I mean, just legends and legends and legends, and everybody knows him. And people give him props all the time. What's really interesting about Carmine is when you look at rock music from the '60s, '70s, '80s you know, into, into, into the early nineties, that was rock and roll's heyday. He was a mm-hmm. part of all of it, you know, from vanilla fudge to cactus to Jeff Beck to Rod Stewart, to King Cobra to blue murder and all the stuff murder. that was happening in between. I mean, he is a, a walking history book. Really is. No, it's, it's those who have survived are the ones that are able to reinvent themselves to, to conform with, uh, with, not necessarily with the genres of the day, but with other approaches, other perspectives of their genre. And if you look at Blue, Mur- Blue, Mur- Blue, what? Blue Murder, King Cobra, Cactus, you look at those of the fudge, of course, they're, they can be, it can be construed they're relatively the same genre, but different perspectives. Um, cause, you know, and, but then, you know, would you ever expect him, um, uh, him being the drummer on it, if you think I'm sexy or do you think I'm sexy when this is the one for Rod Stewart, you know? Um, but then you, you look at uh, how, what really made the fudge, the fudge was, you know, a Motown song. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just, uh, you know, those guys who have the, uh, the wherewithal and the open-mindedness to be able to reinvent, to conform, to stay relevant. And that's he's 75 and he's, he's still doing it. I'm hiring him still. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, we always start the same way every time we have a first time guest on the podcast. And that is really what we're all about. Just like a great rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? The moment that hooked me? Yeah. I think I think part of it is that, you know, you don't even realize. I mean, it's easy to kind of take back now. And when you say something like, you know, I, uh, um, I really fell for it when I went to my first concert or first time I met somebody, you know, backstage, I got the, the bug. But 
you know, I think looking back, you know, um, um, I, it happened to me and I didn't realize it because the music of when you're 15, 60 years old is the music of your life typically. And uh, that was what it was for me. My first concert was the 1976 amazing show at uh, Hawthorne Racecourse outside of Chicago when they had um, uh, Peter Frampton and uh, Frampton Comes Alive first came out in 76. And on that same bill was Leonard Skinner, Gary Wright, Yes. That was my first show, you know. Wow. Uh, it was amazing. And then also I got lucky because uh, a neighbor of mine was um, was in charge of security for what what Live Nation is today. Back then in Chicago was Celebration Flipside, which they had all the record stores and they did they promoted all the shows. And this guy was in charge of security. So I'm 14, 15, 16, backstage at every show. And I'm talking about when I'm talking about Rush. Alvin Lee, Alice Cooper, Zeppelin, of course, uh, freaking REO and Sticks for opening acts. Um, Heart was just, just coming out. And I got this uh, appreciation for this t- style of music that, um, you know, I, I think of it almost every day to this day. And you're talking, uh, what, 40, almost 50 years ago now almost, you know? It's amazing. How, when did it, when did it become so much of a passion that you wanted to get into promoting wanted to get into, you know, having venues for live shows, running your own deal. Well, didn't realize it Jay for, for a long time because uh, I actually growing up, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be one of two things, a baseball player or a chemist, believe it or not. I love science. I love chemistry. I loved all that stuff. Uh, and, and, but, but in, in high school, I was that guy. I was student council. I was prom chairman, homecoming chairman, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just I love doing it. And I had my um, I had my uh, meeting with my guidance counselor. He said, what do I want to do with your life? And I said, well, I want to be a chemist or a baseball player. He said, I'm asking what you want to be when you grow up. What do you want to do with your life? What do you enjoy? And at that time, it was homecoming. I said, well, it's like what I'm doing now. I'm hiring a band. I got posters, uh, tickets, uh, decorating the gym and doing all that stuff. So um, I kept doing that. He told me, he said, people get paid uh, to do that. Now, things are so much different 40-some years ago. I mean, uh, as opposed to now, there, there weren't wedding planners and event planners and concert promoters. It wasn't like that. Um, you know, I didn't realize that those, those jobs existed. But, um, but I started doing some small things on the side as long, you know, at the same time I was, I had other jobs and, and businesses and as in a printing business, I was on a silk screen, I was in sporting goods, I was in so many different things, food service I've been my whole life. And, um, until ultimately it just, uh, it hit me after I got married is like, like, um, you know, when, when I just skimmed down to what I really like and I love putting down the entertainment part of these promotions I was doing. And, uh, from that. We started uh, small and doing some things in shopping malls and bridal fairs and that kind of thing and baseball card shows and just uh, grew up into it. And then, uh, you know, there, some opportunities with venues came about and I didn't even know I wanted my own venue, but I, I had this, these, these relationships like your business, you know, it's 150% relationship based. Well, you start knowing these acts and they know you by first name and you've got Phone numbers, not cell numbers, because that didn't exist back then. But you had phone numbers of uh, of, of celebrities, and and uh, you had access to celebrities. And and I finally, you know, this this the Arcata Theater in St. Charles. Uh, I've had for seventeen years now. That became available, and I be careful what you wish for. And I made it a stupid offer. 
all of a sudden it was mine. I'm like, holy crap, now what do I do? And um, I had to learn the hard way, the business of, of being a venue owner. But since then, open up uh, several other uh, uh, venues. And, um, and now we are just rocking and rolling harder than ever. When you think back the last couple of years and, you know, there was a pause for a while on live shows, uh, live streaming became more prevalent. How have you adapted to the new, the new age of live music? Because it, it's not just, you know, you, you think of the bands now, they rely on, you know, playing out to bring in revenue, you know, no, there's no, the, 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 the big record deal where they can sit home and get the big advance and keep you know making reoccurring revenue on songs or whatever that they just don't pay out like they used to. So they have to constantly be touring. It's great for fans because, Hey, we get to see our favorite acts more than once every three, four years. You know, we get to see them multiple mm-hmm. times a year in, in a lot of cases, or even, you know, once every year, because they constantly have to tour to make money. But, you know, with the pandemic came some restrictions and p- bands also learned that live streaming events, you know, is a, is a way to stay connected with fans. Even now that live concerts are back, the fact that you can live stream a show in someone in Greece or someone in the UK or someone in Canada where you're not going to be touring can actually access your show is a great way to, to bring in revenue for the band. How have you personally adapted to all these changes? You know, to be honest with you, Jay, at first it was, um, you know, I thought a lot about it. You know, I think this is a new world live streaming. You had to do, we were one of the first venues uh, to live stream actually during all this stuff, because as soon as we got locked down, you know, I had people just literally crying because they didn't have any live music. So we did it every night for, for two weeks, thinking that it was going to be over soon, you know. But every night I, had, I have bands. We were closed. My venue was closed. We had the band but no audience and because we had the live streaming equipment anyway. We would do it. And, um, and we started thinking about it. And back then, yeah, you were thinking a lot about it. I get this question asked all the time, be honest with you, about uh, about the, the new world and how it is new. And I'll be honest with you, um, it's not that new. It's not that different than it was before because you would think that it needed to be. You would think that we have to rely on uh, on more live streaming and more, uh, uh, more non-traditional ways of presenting music. But I got to tell you. You know, I renovated all my places. I, I utilized the time. Uh, I fortunately had that budget amount uh, um, already set aside to do what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I had to furlough 300 people. But with, we had, you know, we had, we had negative uh, uh, revenue because of the expenses of insurance and utilities and things that still kept on, on the wheel, that wheel kept on turning. Um, but uh, but the, the big change is where I upgraded everything. But right now, uh, I'm not doing that much different. We're doing shows like we were three, four, five, six days a week. People are coming. Um, we're, we're, I mean, it, it's not, uh, I'd love to be able to say, yeah, it's a new world, Jay. We're doing all this new technology. We've got all this new revenue stream coming in. But frankly, I'm not. I've, I'm back to the way it was. And I think people are just, I think, I think live streaming is definitely out there. I think it's it's a thing. I don't think it's the thing that people were expecting it would be. Like all of a sudden now, all these bands are getting all this new revenue. Not really, because there's nothing that replaces the live the live experience. I mean, 
you know, sure, Access TV does things and you watch concerts on TV when you're by yourself and you have a beer on a Sunday afternoon or whatever it is. But as a uh, as an entertainment medium, Jay, uh, we're back to where we were. It's strong. I mean, are we, we're a little bit slower here and there. Of course, there's, there's some people just not coming out, but there's a lot of people that are. So um, I know it's a long answer to your short question, but the reality is, is that uh, it's it's not as much about live streaming. Not for me. Not for me. Maybe there's other people that are utilizing it and they're creating revenue streams and God bless them. But our customer base is not going to spend $9.99 to see somebody you know where you can see it anyway I mean, you're gonna spend 10 bucks to see let's call it um who we just had we just had uh uh i don't know a foreigner let's say or one of these guys that we just had uh or one that like warrants or docking or you know i mean you you can youtube that all night long for nothing you know um you want to see a concert that we're having here some might but uh we're not uh we're not gonna hit it hard with that we're just staying with the live for the most part why do you think that is? I mean, when I think of other mediums like sports, for instance, and you think of baseball, football, basketball, obviously seeing a, a game live is a completely different experience than watching it on TV. However, it still attracts a large audience to watch a game. Whereas a concert, people resist that that live stream or to watch a concert on television why why is there why do you think there's a difference in how people absorb it or let or they don't want to absorb that kind of medium versus a sports medium where you can watch it from the comfort of your TV for three hours and enjoy think, it just uh, as much as you'd be there? Yeah, I think it's a, it's it's two different things, Jay. I mean, you know, in, in sports there's a lot of downtime. There's just a lot of downtime, you know, and it's not choreographed. It's not it doesn't you know, you know there's a crescendo coming. You know there's some hits coming. You know, you know, there's a finale coming. You know it's building. Uh, and it's one song. It's not like, you know, I mean, if you were, if you could give me a home run every inning at a ball game, if you could give me, uh, you know, um, you know, if that's what it was, it was home runs or touchdowns or goals every, every period or something, you could give me that. But because there's so much downtime, I think, in sports, I think um, the musical experience is, is, is a very um, – experiential uh, uh, sensory experience. You know, the sound is so important. Um, the vibe of being around people are also loving that music. Um, I just think it's a different experience. Um, you know, it's not as the, 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 the live, you know, if you take what's exciting in sports, you know, it's, it's the possessions. It's the, it's the great plays. It's the, you know, if you could, take that and put that into a 90 minute or a 75 minute thing. I think a lot more people would go to him uh, because it, you, you get that experience. Um, I don't know. Music on TV has always been music on TV. I don't think it's, you know, if you could, you could, if you've got a really good sound system connected to your TV, I guess that's okay. You can turn the volume up. That's okay. But there's no, you know, you can watch a football game and get when they score, get that excitement. I don't know that you could watch a concert, get the same excitement when, you know, when uh, Jason Bonham and his Led Zeppelin experience plays Stairway to Heaven, you stand up at your house and I don't know, it's just not the same. I just yeah. think that the, there's nothing that can replace live music. I just don't think so. 
You know, as far as though learning to maximize the revenue from live stream, you know, I mentioned in the beginning, you know, of our conversation, how, you know, if a band like Tom Kiefer, who I know you're going to have at the Plains Theater and the Arcada, I think in what, March or May or something like that. Well, they're doing it. It's really cool. He's doing a, a, a thing called, oh, I forgot what it's called now. It's called something, but it's with Tracy Guns and it's with Faster Pussycat. Yeah. It's his whole package and we're excited yeah, about it. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I look forward to it. But for an, for a fan who like, you know, is overseas or in a different country who maybe you know is not going to see a tour like this and is a big fan of all these acts, is there an interest in maximizing that revenue by having that you know, open to those types of fans where they can go on their computer and watch a show in another country that they're not going to see. And they won't see this guy perform forever. How long they haven't seen him perform for however long there has to be some audience for that. Or, or am I wrong? on yeah. that? No, you're hundred percent right. And you know, the thing, the challenge here, which I think is going to be one of the positive byproducts of this whole thing that we've been going through is, um, you know, the, the, hard part about the streaming thing has always been the rights and clearances. It's never been, you could always, you could, I mean, you could do it on your phone. You could do it on a camera. You could do it. I mean, doing it is not the hard part. It's getting, you know, again, it comes down to the almighty dollar and how you monetize that and who's, you know, with the publishers, you know, that's the thing. And that's where ASCAP, BMI, CSAC comes in. Uh, the broadcast rights has always been a difficult thing. This whole live stream thing is a new animal. They're still trying to figure it out because how do you how do you get that, you know, how do you put a price tag on it? They're still trying to figure it out. You know, um, once that part of it becomes easy, you'll see a lot more live streams. But right now, um, you know, got to keep in mind that, you know, the publishing rights to all these songs that these bands play, you know, 80% of them, they don't own their own publishing. Um, and, and they're different publishers. It's not like one publisher owns, like they do a set. If they do a 15 song set, they could have 15 different publishers. Mm -hmm. They can have, I mean, it's, it's a very complex, not only complex, but you know, it's undefined as far as the formula really on how to monetize this. I mean, it's out there. They create it. Obviously it happens. You see it on PBS, you see it on, on, uh, on access TV, you see it. So it's, it's there, but it's hard and very complex. So um, that's why the, it's, it behooves, I mean, it behooves the bands to do that. But for me, by the time, you know, as a venue owner, remember for me, you know, much of our, our revenue is, you know, is, is about food and beverage sponsorship, um, you know, promotional partnerships, that's where our revenue, I mean, we don't, you know, we would never make it on ticket sales alone now because the bands make the lion's share. People think they see a full house here at the Arcada or one of my other places. They're like, man, you are making a ton. I'm like, no, the, the artist is making a ton. These artists get 20, 30, 40, 50, $75,000 for a 90 minute show. So how many, I mean, do your own math. I got 900 seats. You know, average price, $65 a ticket. Do your own math. They're getting the lion's share. So with live streaming, you know, you're only paying now. You go from a $75 ticket. Now they're paying $10 or whatever it is. And you look at what publishers got to get, the artists got to get. What am I going to get? You know, that, that makes sense. Uh, that is going to be enough of a volume 
where people are going to really spend a lot of money. That has yet to be defined. But for us as a venue owner, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't uh, uh, been structured in a way yet that makes it really worthwhile for us. I mean, you go through all of that and maybe get four or five, six hundred dollars, you know, uh, but it's not worth, worth the effort. You, know, you mentioned too in our conversation about, you know, how people are coming back slowly but surely, um, you know, because of the hesitancy and people are still fearful of what's happening. Uh, do you think at some point, I mean, we, it's hard to talk about it now because we've got a new variant and, you know, people are getting sick again and a lot of people are testing positive. Uh, do you think it'll ever be normal or, you know, when do you foresee, you know, everyone completely coming back or will that ever happen again? Well, there are those that'll never, I mean, you know, this face mask thing, there are some people who are alive today that will live the rest of their lives wearing a face mask. They, you know, which isn't a complete suck thing because think of all the germs and think of just people washing their hands more and cleaning things. I mean, generally speaking, that's a, just a cooler environment to be in. Um, but, you know, I think about 9-11, you know, we're thinking about we'll never be able to fly a plane again. We'll never, you know, we'll, uh, we'll never trust anybody again with this or that. And you know what? We'll, we'll make it through it. Um, I feel bad like my daughter, 16, you know, um, between between uh, COVID um, and um, uh, we had some uh, uh, economy challenges uh, a couple of years back. I mean, from the time she's a freshman in high school, these these formative years. Now she's a junior. Look what these kids are going through. That's that's why I worry about. That's the biggest thing. Us, we've had our great times. Um, do I think I think in a lot of respects, uh, you know, 60, 70 percent of it is back. A lot of places you don't have to wear masks. A lot of places just live your life. I was in a store the other day, have people had masks, you have to own. I think a lot of it is back already. Um, I think another year of, of people getting used to situations. Um, I think a lot of people, I think, you know, I think through the summer, if we can get through the, the, the holidays and whatever the variant's going to be. I think as long as it's not too crazy, um, I think people are just, they understand. It. I think that was the problem in the first place. People didn't understand it. That's why it was so crazy. You know, I mean, if knew now, if we know knew now, we knew then or whatever I'm trying to say, um, would we have shut down the country the way we did? Probably not. You know, but we didn't know. You know, we my son's a junior too. He's 16, and yeah. this is his first full year of high school. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed that it continues that way. Yeah. Um, I've got a nephew who didn't experience his senior year. Like, right. like we did. And it's heartbreaking for, for young kids. And it is, you know, it's difficult to see them go through this because like you said, they haven't seen, they haven't experienced what we've already experienced for us. They have things shut down. Yeah. I mean, let's not lie. It, it's not great, but you know, we still have lived our lives up until this point without many restrictions um, and, and we've enjoyed things. And, and you know, you're, you, you have, your venues that you have live shows in. And I don't, I, this is a question that I've, I've often, I love hearing the different answers or different thoughts on, but I think this pandemic based on what I see with my son and his friends really brought that angst back to young people because, you know, e-learning and, 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 you know, doing the same thing every day and not experiencing anything new 
you know, they needed change. They needed something to, to kind of keep their interest. And yep. I think rock and roll is starting to resurface, especially with a lot of the young bands that are out there. There's a lot of great young artists. When you, when you're at your theaters, when you're at your venues and you, and you see shows, are you seeing more young people now than you were maybe prior to the pandemic? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, what happened, what the cool thing was, you know, these, 14 year olds got stuck with home with dad while he's listened to his who albums. And, you know, and a, a lot of it happened. Now I see a lot of kids and I love this. When I see kids come to my shows, you know, I love a 12 year old that's got, you know, Zeppelin shirt on and yeah. the and they got Pat Benatar. And, you know, I mean, this is, this is great because I mean, you know, that's, that's a whole separate editorial about music of today versus music about back then. Is this music? Is that not music? All that, that stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I think there's definitely, you know, a, a greater appreciation and awareness of the music of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. A lot of it due to the quarantine that you're stuck with your parents. Uh, and they were stuck uh, uh, with that for a while. And also, you know, there's not a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of music out there. If you really, if you really boil it down. And you look what's out there now musically, you know, there's not that much. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of the electronic stuff that's out now, but if you're not dancing in that live thing, if you're doing for the, for the pure musicality of it, if that's what you're looking for, you know, lyrics and, and actual structured music, um, you're almost forced to go to the 60s, 70s, 80s, and the 90s a little bit uh, to get that. So I think uh, I think that that is another positive byproduct of this whole experience. I think that the appreciation for classic music, classic not classical but classic music, um, has definitely uh, grown and given it another new life. Um, I see a lot of young people at our shows now. I really do. Yeah, I you know it's exciting for me because you know when I hear my sixteen year old listening to his music and the bands that he's listening to, whether it's a Dirty Honey which is a great new band or mammoth or uh, the struts or Nick Perry, some of these other artists that are out there. It's, it's actually helped me connect a lot with the, with the younger bands that are out there. And I, and I really think that, you know, I have a friend who said like, you know, for, you know, 20 years ago, rock music had a bad draft and nothing came out for like a decade, you know, in, in, in good rock music. <laughs> And now you're starting to see these younger bands starting to come up and 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 play blues based rock music, which is really cool. Um, sure. and, and and to see a young kid and to see his friends kind of gravitate towards that is really exciting too, as well. And I think you know when you are at home in e learning, and you're you you went into the pandemic listening to pop music or hip hop, you know after a while life becomes pretty stale doing the same thing every day. And you go searching for, for stuff. And as much as the, the event, you know, was sad when Eddie Van Halen passed, I think that opened up a whole new exposure to him and the instrument of guitar, because I don't think a lot of young people really appreciated who he was and what he meant to music. And when he did pass, I think it caused a lot of young people to go to YouTube start looking at his stuff and seeing this amazing player and then opening up doors for other bands and other artists too, as well, that, Hey, maybe my, maybe my dad's music isn't that bad. It's actually pretty cool. You're hundred percent right. hundred percent right. Again, you know, by being forced to find your own entertainment, 
by, you know, searching and, 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 um, you know, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, surfing the web and you're coming up on some of these things, uh, these classic rock tunes and, you know, these people that have been passing in rock and roll and you see these bios and you look it up. Um, you know, last night I saw, I watched, uh, HBO has got this thing called, uh, music box. It's a, it's a new documentary series and they got six or eight episodes up already. And one of them was on, uh, Alanis Morissette. Great. Well done. I learned a lot about her. I watched two and I watched uh, the second one was uh, about uh, Woodstock, about the 94 and mainly the 99 Woodstock. What a disaster it was when it compared 69, 94, 99. Just incredible um, perspectives. Um, and, and this is all stuff that you, you wouldn't normally be, be watching or seeing. And, uh, and that goes for the kids, too. And I, I hear it all the time. And I see it. I do see it. I mean, to answer your original question about do I see, you know, a, an uptick in uh, in youth involvement or youth attendance. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I see what I see now that's a little different, which is cool. Before I'd see the dad bring his, his 12-year-old son with a Zeppelin T-shirt. Now I see groups of four or five 15-year-olds coming. Like this is a cool thing out for them as a group. Yeah. Uh, I see a lot of girls. A lot of young girls, you can tell they're in the music. You can tell they're like, they're, they're in bands. They play guitar and stuff. They're loving, they're loving Pink Floyd. It's unbelievable how much, how many of them love Pink Floyd, you know, you, cause you got that whole thing. And the other thing that helped with the kids, obviously, is that whole, that whole school of rock, uh, element that's out there. You know, uh, uh, kudos to them too, because their format has always been that of more of a classic rock aspect. So, you know, those two combined has really given, uh, you know, our music, a little bit uh, more of a, uh, of a spine to it, a little bit more, you know, stability uh, that gives me the confidence that it's going to, um, I'm going to have some ticket buyers in the next 10, 20 years still. Yeah. It's also amazing too, how much young females are gravitating towards rock music. You, oh, know, yeah. you know, high school girls, when I was growing up were more into the pop music. Of course I grew up, you know, during the hair metal scene and the hair band scene. So yes, there was an attraction for the Bon Jovi's and the rats and Motley Cruz, but you know, now they're actually playing the instruments, you know, which is, which is a lot different than, than what it was years past. You see girls playing bass, guitars, singing, playing drums, yeah. all female bands forming. And, and uh, that's exciting too, because I think that's opening up a whole bunch of new doors for, oh, for yeah. new fans down the road. Oh yeah. You know, especially, uh, I mean, you see a lot of female bass players, uh, a lot of female drummers. You just didn't see that before. Just didn't see, you know, more guitar players. Some play guitar. Most of them are vocalists that I re- recollect, you know, but, uh, again, they're really, really, um, they're going, you know, they're, they're rocking, uh, rocking hard like the other guys, you know, as far as the way you do business and uh-huh. the evolution of, of, music right you know we have you know like i mentioned in the beginning gone are the days of the big record contracts gone are the days of the big you know reoccurring revenue on a song you know played on radio those days are, are pretty much over the amount they make on streaming services is is you know a 10 percent of a penny basically or even less than that how has that impacted what you do in terms of having venues for these artists to play i mean like like we said player musicians are playing more often but in a sense in a business sense how has that changed how you do versus years ago where bands made money more on their record deal and the songs now they're making more money on or the 
know, they're making their money on live music. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, again, I think, I just think, I think there's a lot of, um, there's still a tremendous uh, amount of unknown that's out there, Jay, still. I mean, people don't know what the future is with regards to revenue share, revenue generation as it pertains to music. I mean, there isn't anybody that could really say right now, okay, I've got here, I got a, I got a, I got a winning song right here. I got a, I got a freaking hit. Okay. Now what, you know, there, there, it, it's so, so undefined, undefined right now. I mean, uh, you just don't know what to do. Like you said, I mean, you know, it was, it was a very structured situation. You cut a single, you produced a single radio. Uh, you got it to, to, to radio promoters. They, the promoters got it on the radio, the radio spun it. Um, they sold records at the, you went to the record store to get records and you paid 99 cents for your 45. You paid your three ninety nine dollars to, to nine ninety nine for your 33 and a thirds. Yeah. I mean, it was structured. You, you knew what the numbers were, you knew, and you had goals you wanted, you know, now it's downloads maybe, but even that downloads are so, you know, 0. 0.0001 cents each download or whatever it is. And, and how to promote it, even that too, before, you know, when social media started, you know, when you had, um, you know, just Facebook or just Twitter, or just, you know, you just had these, these, these formats or these, these uh, platforms just came out, you know, you can, you can almost predict like this is going to go big and people are going to remember. They said another name that came out last night that, that I forgot about. Remember Napster? Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, yeah. Napster, people were making money. They, it was, it was defined. Now that isn't defined anymore. No one knows what the hell to do to make a lot of money outside of major concert tours. Cause that is a physical tangible thing. But now um, I, I just, I just think it's, 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 a, I think it's a, a, an industry that is being reborn and needs to figure out a lot. Cause I go to, you know, I go to my, just like everybody, you know, you go to your industry, um, think tanks and seminars and uh, webinars and uh, conferences and everyone's scratching their freaking head. They just are. Even the guys like me have been doing it for 30, 40, 50 years. We're scr- like, I don't know. I-, I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to keep doing what we know and try to maximize our revenue. But me as a company um, with, you know, I'll do, I'll, uh, let's see. Uh, well, this was a, this a year was messed up, but typically I'll do, I don't know, 1200 shows in a year or something. You know, I, my revenue is music and I mean, I'm sorry, it's tickets and, and food and beverage. And we have, we have uh, multipliers there and we know kind of what we should expect. And, you know, that's why I'm staying with that. But as far as if you're, if you're someone who's writing music and you're trying to get it out there, I again, I went watching that the, the story of how uh, how Alanis became the Jagged Little Pill came to be the number two highest grossing album by a female in history, the number twelfth album in in rock and roll history. It's at thirty three million albums um, right now. That you know, just on just by itself, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's one of the top selling. Like I said, twelve albums in, in history. Um, but that format, that formula of the, in the nineties is still there. What was still there at the time, you know, you're selling vinyl, you're selling records. Now I think there's just so much unknown 
that it's, it's, it's redefining itself. And I think in the next five years, whatever we know and say right now will be completely different five years from now. Yeah. It's also, in, in my opinion, the, there's, there's so many ways to access music now, which is theoretically it's great. Right. But I also think that there's too many platforms to access music. I mean, you know, if you're a band and you're, you're doing it DIY, do it yourself. You know, you're not typically your musicians, your artists, you create, you don't have, you know, you don't, a lot of them don't have business sense. A lot of them don't have marketing sense. You know, they figure, you know, the days of, of, of stapling a, a flyer on a telephone pole are gone, you know, well, and, 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 you know, you got YouTube, you've got all the streaming platforms, you've got all the social media platforms and not everyone's on one platform. There's, there's people over here. It, it's difficult. It's a challenge for a new artist to kind of figure out what's happening. You don't have the money to pay someone to do it yet because you're not making any money on the streams. You got to play live to get on a tour that, you know, will pay you a decent buck is, is not easy because promoters like yourself want guaranteed money or close to it. So they're going to try to team up bands from the same era or, or whatever. And, and unfortunately, because of that, the, the young bands lose out on a lot of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. so they've got to go out and tour themselves and they're playing to, you know, 50% occupancy, 40% occupancy of a, of a venue. I mean, I go to a lot of shows in the Chicagoland area, um, smaller venues, venues like yourselves. And I see a lot of these new bands, you know, and it's frustrating because I think the music is great, but I don't know. I think the biggest thing is there's not a defined way to get the music, right? It used right. to be radio and MTV. Those were your two sources. That's where you got your music from. And MTV no longer plays videos. Um, radio, rock radio outside of classic rock is is virtually nothing. It's not existent anymore. Um, you've got 95 Will Rock and you've got a couple other stations. But really, the big time rock radio stations are gone in most, most big markets. And unfortunately, you can put stuff on a streaming service. But if no one knows who the hell you are, you know, no one's going to no one's going to listen. So, you know, it is difficult for a new band to get started. And in, but thankfully, there's these festivals that do invite these younger bands on, on lower bills to, to play to help them get exposure. You know, but when you're, when you're putting together a show, you know, at your, at your venue, a lot of times it's a tour that, that's coming through. But if you're looking at a band to put on a bill, like I, I saw Ace Freely at your at the Arcada before the pandemic. And I know enough's enough and enough's enough's been a Chicago name for years, you know, sure. um, you know, since the eighties, you know, when you're, when you're matching a band up or, or, or whatever, how you ever you do it, what do you consider when you're, when you're doing that? Well, you know, I, I like to give, you know, I, I want to make sure that it's, it's indeed a, a true opportunity you know, those guys that just play and they thought it would be cool to open for Ace or somebody else. Um, you know, a bunch of uh, dads that are still playing in their basements and play a bar, <clears throat> play a bar once in a while. I, I truly try to give that opportunity to a band that is looking for, you know, some exposure, uh, looking to be a part of that <clears throat> that professional world where they see how it ha- how it all works, sound check, backstage uh, aspect, all of that. Um, you know, I'm, I I like, I, of course I support bands that new music. I, I am not 
I like bands that are not afraid to to do some covers. Um, some bands are so, oh no, we would never do a cover. Like, I don't get it. I mean, you know, people, if you're, I mean, if it's your show, it's one thing, but if you're an opener, um, you know, people aren't paying tickets to see you, you know, they're there to, it's about their experience. And I find many bands somewhat force their new music onto people and they're like, I'm going to get a beer. You know, I say, you know, try to mix it up a little bit, you know, get them in with, if you play a song, a cover of really a cover and you play it really well then you win over the 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 um the person who doesn't know your band you know you win them over because hey that sounded awesome what a great rendition of stairway to heaven or whatever you know um and then you say hey guys i wrote this i was uh broken up my girlfriend this and that whatever and you and everyone's i hope you like it and check this out and you and yet you, you they listen you, you win them over they try to win them over with all their own original music in a in a in a in a, in a format that people are not really wanting to hear it, you know, and they don't understand that with the opening act. Um, I mean, some do, you know, of course, and I and I hugely support. I don't want this to be taken wrong because I don't want to be said, well, you don't support, you know, independent rock or you don't support, you know, original music. I'm all about original music. I'm trying to show you how to get more people to listen to your original music and not be so arrogant that, Hey, I've got a 35, I got a 40 minute opening slot here. And for 40 minutes, I'm going to throw you stuff that you've never heard before and try to make it a good time. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, even for my podcast, I would say 35 to 40% of my shows are new music spotlights, new bands. However, I have the Carmen pieces on. I have the George Lynch's on the D Snyder's, you know, the Phil Lewis, because that brings in people to the podcast. And hopefully after they listen to one of those interviews, they'll say, Oh, check out what's this new band or what's that. So, I mean, I love talking with new bands and, and spotlighting them, but you also, like you said, you have to bring people in and be, without rack radio and without MTV, like there was back in the day, it is a challenge for people to listen to new rock. It really is. I mean, you know, we want these new bands to connect with younger audiences because those audiences will grow with those bands. But to get on tours, to get on stuff like that, you know, like with with a classic rock band, you know, you need to have a wider, uh, you know, area of audience, a wider, a wider scope of an audience to do that. Um, but I totally get that. You know, um, doesn't make it right. It's just kind of reality. Um, it is reality. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they hate, to, they hate to hear it. You know, we're no, sorry. We're an original band. Well, good. But in in this day and age of, of, you know, uncertainty with regards to uh, releasing new music, um, you got to get fans, you know, you got to understand that, you know, you want to be successful. You have to make guys like me successful. You know, you have to give me a product that I can sell so that we can stay open and give you a format. Um, you know, they just want to make it solely about artist expression and God bless you for that. I'm, I'm all about it, but you have to help me sell tickets. That's what you have to do. Um, one of the artists I think about is Mariah Formica, who's now the singer of this band called plush. Uh, you know, she used to do these live streams from her house of her covering these songs, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was a steel heart song, whether it was a heart song, all these bands and it grew her fan base. Right. And now she's 
in one of the premier young rock bands. And in large part, that audience was built by her doing those things. Right. And there's sure. going to be a time. I think she I think they still do one or two covers in their live act now. But there's going to be a time where they're going to turn that off because they don't need to do that anymore. But they but she built that foundation based on doing those covers. hundred percent. I mean, uh, that's where those, you know, she gets it. There's a girl by the name of Dominique Ruiz, uh, Dominique Ruiz. But, you know, she's TikTok it all over the place. She's a female guitarist. And she all she's doing is playing guitar with. Um, tracks from, you know, classic rock songs, but she's got a million followers now. I mean, it's crazy. You know, you got to be able to be smart about it. I mean, you think about, you you think about these songs that have got, you know, that have been listened to by millions of people. Why wouldn't you utilize that door opener? And then you get your, you you show them your style. You get them to fall in love with your style and fall in love with your persona and what you represent. Then they'll they'll want to love your music. I mean, you're already fifty percent of the job is done. You know, you can suck and they'll still love your song. You know, because they love you. And but they don't get that, and that's why they struggle, and that's why they remain you know servers at restaurants their whole life. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's not. <laughs> a, you know, as we close uh, this interview, you know, last question as we move forward, farther away. I mean, obviously the pandemic's not over, but we are inching to that moment where we're getting farther and farther away. Obviously, the, the new variants out there that it has people nervous. Um, as you move forward into 2022, you know, where do you see live music going? Is it still going to be status quo? Do you, are you, do you still expect to see growth happen with live music? I do see growth. Uh, I, like I said, I mean, this, this whole uh, thing is, is become an abortion issue. You know, 50% of the people are freaking religiously against it and 50% of people religiously for it. I mean, you know, is it, I was talking to a guy before, this mask thing, this, it's all a lie. This is just the flu. And other people are like looking at me. I get people who are mad at me. Like, I can't believe you're still having shows and putting people at risk. I'm like, anybody who, who could tell me they've got the real answer, you're either in La La Land or you're lying because nobody could, nobody knows. Nobody knows all we can do. That's where my philosophy is. We're going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to keep doing what I do, do and, and stay as safe as we can and, and be responsible to very to, to degrees. Um, but nothing's a hundred percent. And I think, you know, people are learning to live with it. And uh, I mean, you look, I think I said this earlier. I don't know if I did, but Spider-Man came out this weekend and, you know, with all the variants and all of COVID and all the stuff and death and destruction and crime and all this stuff, still, the, the this past weekend, Spider-Man was the third, uh, this one was the third largest grossing opening weekend of any movie in history. So people are still coming out, you know. So what does that tell you? So I think I think people are just going to learn what makes sense for their own lives. Yeah. They're going to excess risk, you know, and that's it. And that's what it is. And notwithstanding something that's all of a sudden leeches are growing out of our freaking nostrils and stuff. I don't even know. Um, But I think, uh, you know, it just feels that like it's, it's inching towards positivity. And I think we get through the holidays and the hot weather comes back. And we, I think we we get through to the summer. I think people are just going to be like, you know what? We're, we're, we're back. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, Ron, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you very much. 
hey, man, I, I love what you're doing. Keep going, man. Keep rocking, Jay. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I can't wait to see some of the shows at uh, either the Arcada or, or Displains. I got to check out the Displains Theater. I haven't checked it out yet. Magical, bro. It's magical. I'm telling you. It's, it's both places. I'm, I'm so excited because people are just emotionally attached. They love the music. They love the experience. They love the extra that we put in. We put in millions of dollars of both venues. Got tons of bathrooms, which is so important. Just ask those guys who tried to put on Woodstock how terrible that was. Yeah. Um, but uh, but no, we're back, man, and we're rocking, rocking strong. Awesome. Thanks again, Ron. Everybody, I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care of each other. We'll talk again soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.